everybody, and welcome to First and Gold, the hardest hitting up and coming ACC and SEC football podcast on the internet today. It is Saturday, March 19th in the year 2021, and today we're going to be discussing the Florida State Seminoles. Going off of their 2021 year in review, we're going to talk about all the bumps in the road they had along the way. Also, we'll talk a little bit about the Missouri Spring Game, and we're going to discuss the Georgia Tech Spring Game. Before we get into that, I'll pull up that chin strap, throw in that mouthpiece. It's going to be a hard hit. Let's get it. All right, all right, all right, everybody. What's going on? What's going on? I am your host, Ben. Joined here, as always, by my co-host, the one, the only, Big Rob. How the hell are you doing, brother? I'm doing pretty good, my brother. How are you? I'm doing all right, doing all right. You popping on top on a Sprite? Another Sprite today, yes, sir. <laughs> Trying to trick everybody over here oh, or something, yeah. huh? Oh, yeah. A little, little trickery going on here. I feel you, man. I feel you. Yeah, like I said, this is going to be our first YouTube video, so... How about it, everybody? Hope Let's, you can see us good. Yes, sir. If you don't like the first video, we will improve. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is our first go around with it. You know, got to start from somewhere. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. But um, before we talk about these Florida State Seminoles Day, man, let's talk a little bit about these spring games we just saw. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, man. Just going over everything. We had Missouri Spring King uh, actually happened today, and then... Uh, Georgia Tech's actually happened on St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Georgia Tech's happened on St. Patrick's Day like a bunch of leprechauns running around that stadium <laughs> down there. But uh, I got to tell you, man, so far I'm I'm not too impressed. Well, with Missouri, man, it was really hard to get a read with them because they didn't really have good on good, man. They just they they really had backyard pickup as far as what their team went. Yeah, I, I didn't really understand that. What we mean by that is uh, normally when you have your college spring games, you'll have your first-team offense versus first-team defense, second-team offense, second-team defense, and you'll be rotating quarterbacks in and out. First and second-string quarterback will be working with group one, and third and fourth-string quarterbacks will be working primarily with group two normally. But uh, Missouri, they had a damn draft. Yeah. Yeah, backyard pickups. Yeah, I mean, they – just select the players for each team along and along. And uh, it really kind of caught me off guard because when you mix them up like that, I mean, don't get me wrong, you get everybody a little bit of playing time. So that's kind of cool. But at the same time, how are you going to get a real honest look at your group one offense or group one defense in a game-like setting? I mean. Exactly, man. I mean, don't get me wrong with the Missouri game. Those running backs looked really, really good. Both of them really that was going on, but at the same time, if you've got your second or third string, you know, defensive lineman in one or two positions out there, how are you going to get an accurate read on if that quarterback action looks good or if it's just the skill level is a little bit different? That's right, quarterbacks and running backs, all that good fun stuff. I mean, yeah, you'll have a few mixed up guys on the O line too, but I don't know. I mean, I can see where maybe you're challenging. Say you got a second-string tackle lined up against your group one edge rusher. Right. He's going to have to rise to the challenge maybe throughout the game. But I don't know. To me, I mean, I guess it's a way for the players to have fun. But I prefer group one, group two. Yeah, you get to say, well, we see our guys on a regular base in practice. But at the same time, in a game-like setting with referees, with the clock running, clock management, the whole nine yards, 
You don't. You can't do that in a practice. You cannot simulate that in a practice. Absolutely not, man. You really can't. And the thing that I liked about the Missouri practice, though, is that they had all their fans actually in the stands, whereas Georgia Tech, it seemed like everybody was on the field and just made everything one big cluster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Georgia Tech, man, that that was a very confusing spring game to me, a little bit of. I'll tell you one thing I took from that right off the rip is what in the world do they have going on at the center position? I have no idea, man. Center play, how many was it that we counted? Like five bad snaps before we quit watching? I know they had four. I know they had four because they had a couple in seven on seven, and then when they went to the group one versus group one defense game like scenarios, on opening drive, he had two more. After that, all of a sudden, it went back to position breakdowns and everything. And I said, I don't know, man. I mean, maybe their starting center was injured. I didn't read a whole lot into the injury report before this thing. I'll be honest with y'all. The spring game kind of surprised me. Normally, they're in April. or Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I honestly didn't realize Georgia Tech's Tech's game had already taken place until I was looking on ESPN today and saw that it was the other day. So, I was like, hey. Let's take a look at this. <laughs> we watched it for, what, about two hours, and then the Missouri game came on, and we flipped over to that and just switched back and forth, really. Yeah, and I mean, I'm going to have to do a lot more digging in on both of these games still. I'm going to have to go back, break out the notepad, and really get in the nitty-gritty. But I know the Georgia Tech one, just stop and rewind and looking everything over like I like to do. There was just so much yeah. going on. Yeah. I mean, bad snaps. You got your second-string quarterback in there throwing some. I, I'll give credit. Now, he threw some damn dimes. Oh, he really did. Very, very impressive passes. But when the second-string quarterback was in there, you'd have more of a pass-oriented offense. Then when you had your starter in there, it was back to the whole triple option type offense. Not a whole lot of passes. More RPOs, stuff like that. And yeah. Definitely. The one thing you could tell about that number two quarterback was he wasn't really mobile whatsoever. But as long as they kept that pocket clean, man, he – like he said, he was throwing dimes the whole time. Yeah, but the problem with that at the same time is, I don't know, it feels like the game's changing. It feels like the day of the traditional quarterback, the pocket pro-style quarterback, it's like they're getting fewer and fewer. And I mean, don't get me wrong, the ones that are still out there can look very much elite. I mean, looking at the NFL, even with all these young guys still in there, all these young dual-threat quarterbacks, very mobile on everything else. The best quarterback this past year statistically was Tom Brady. Yeah. And Aaron Rodgers won MVP, but we ain't even going to talk about that. <laughs> and, I, and I was a Green Bay fan. How about that? <laughs> I'll but, tell you, though, Pittsburgh just made a big signing that I am tickled to death with, and that's going to be Mitch Trubisky back there in the quarterback spot. Yeah, that should be very exciting for Pittsburgh. Trubisky had a bad rap. He had a real bad rap for Chicago, but, man, they just – after last season, I believe it was more so proof that it was more on the coaching staff there than anything. Absolutely, man. But hopefully the Pittsburgh Steelers get better. Hopefully the Bears get better. Only time's going to tell, but I'll try not to – I don't want to wander off too far in the NFL world, Hellers. <laughs> There's a million problems to discuss out there as it is. <laughs> and speaking, you said was a Green Bay fan, and you, you, you still wearing that shirt today for the audience to be able to see. 
Listen, listen. <laughs> that was my team, man. That was my team for years and years. But right now, we're the relationship status on me and the Green Bay Packers, I guess you could say, is complicated at the moment. These <laughs> always room over here in Pittsburgh, man. Come on over. We got cookies. Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> well, we'll have to see how the year plays out, man. But, um,. Anyways, getting back to the spring games, we done saw a squirrel and straight <laughs> off on you. <laughs> but uh, getting back to spring games, Georgia Tech, it just – there was not a whole lot I could take away from it. Like I said, I'm going to take a further dive in it and get a lot more and pick a lot more up on it. But it's just – it was very, I don't know, laid back and kind of unorganized really looking to me. It really was. It really was. And – Honestly, it reminded me quite a bit of the Florida State spring practice from last season. Yeah, in a way. But hell, Florida State spring game last year, I mean, even then, they had a lot more game time scrimmaging than this. They really did. They really did. And it reminded me a lot more of Duke last year. Well, Duke and South Carolina. South Carolina was also pretty scrambled up. But what I mean by that, it was just really unorganized, man. It just seemed like they really – didn't have much of a plan going into the game to me. No, it's, it seemed more like a publicity thing than it was a get out here and make the team better thing. Yeah, to me. yeah. Almost seemed almost like a St. Patrick's Day celebration rather than a football game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you one thing. No head coach, he did not miss a camera while he was out on that field. If there was a camera on the field, he would find it and make sure he got safe in front of it, waving and messing with camera crews. I said, yeah. After the last couple seasons y'all had, you'd think there'd be a little more focus over there, but I, hell, who am I to critique? <laughs> I mean, after the last few seasons, man, I'd almost think I'd want to wear a brown paper bag over my face until we started winning some games, to be honest. I don't know. I don't know what to do with Georgia Tech, <laughs> but uh, Missouri. I'm going to have to do a little more digging in on them. But I've seen a few things I like, like what Big Rob said over here. I mean, the running backs in Missouri, they looking pretty good. They, they were very, very impressive. Some of the catches the wide receivers made, man, were were phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. They made some really good catches. Both quarterbacks really looked fairly decent. Um, yeah. Offensive line, though, looked pretty questionable at times. But also, at the same time, I don't know if I'm looking at the group one guard or the group three guard. I really right. don't know. But there were some big blown blocks going on out there that I really didn't like seeing. There were some blown coverages and – when you mix them up like that, it makes it kind of hard for us to know. I guess from the coaching standpoint, they know who it is, so it's not quite an issue for them. But I don't know. Me personally, maybe I'm old school. I want to put my best against the best I can. That way I can see what's going to happen. Yeah, just like uh, you know, just like the, the famous quote is, iron sharpens iron. So how are you going to have iron sharpen wood? Exactly. I want my most experienced players to go against my most experienced players. These, My defense, they're going to be playing against the Georgia Bulldogs. They're going to be playing against Alabama. They're going to be playing against Florida Gators, South Carolina, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be playing my group three offensive line. They're going to be going against these juggernauts. So if my group off- one offensive line is giving them problems, I know I got to improve. But if I watch the spring tape, Against some group three guys and making big plays, and I'm satisfied. I mean, that's not, it doesn't tell me a whole lot. Yeah, absolutely. But the other end of that spectrum, too, is not only are the fans watching this game, but 
the other coaches are also watching this game. So I guess that's kind of a, you know, they don't know exactly who's going to be the starter, but still, I mean, film's out there. Yeah, I mean, you got a point there. But still, at the same time, like I said, they get to see these kids scrimmage and practice every day. So they got a decent idea of what they're capable of. My whole thing is getting out there, the defense jumping offside in a game-like setting with a crowd making some noise. False stars, holding penalties, pass interference penalty. There's so many penalties in today's game. And I mean, that's one thing I will say about Missouri, too, is they have a lot of offside penalties in the spring game. They did have quite a few offsides. But see, how many teams did we see last year that penalties cost them game after game after game? Penalties, I mean, just affecting a whole season. Yeah, quite a few. If I got access to some college football refs, Mm -hmm. some officials, I want to see what my guys are going to do. I want to see what our weaknesses are, what we need to work on. Yep, exactly. If I don't, if I don't put it in the fire, how am I going to know? Exactly, man. How exactly. are you going to know how solid your iron is until you put it under a load? Yeah. You can have a trailer and it can ride empty all day long, but as soon as you put eighty thousand pounds on there, if it's got a crack, it's going to show. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, just like with any offense or defense, you can consider it a weapon, just like a sword. You got to forge a sword in fire, and if it's not in fire, it's going to be brittle as hell. That's exactly right. But with all that being said, speaking of a uh, brittle and <laughs> penalties and everything else, how about these uh, 2021 Florida State Seminoles, man? Man, I tell you what, Florida State last season, I had a lot of high hopes for them. I know that you did too. Hell, you were you were saying that they could be an ACC favorite. Hell, I thought they would be. <laughs> and you know, honestly, I kind of bought into it too with you know the untimely passing for Bobby Bowden and you know everything like that. The pain that everybody was feeling, I just thought that they would be able to go in and you know play for the memory of Bobby Bowden and to bring themselves back on top, man. And, you know, even though they did go five and seven. Four and four in the ACC. They did have some close games. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, it just, I don't know. I don't know what happened, honestly, because it's like you said, with the passing of Coach Bowden right on the bridge of the season, you've seen the tribute videos, all that, everybody getting together, honoring a famous coach, great coach legend, mm-hmm. absolute legend of a coach and a man. Absolutely, man. The win- Wasn't he the winningest coach in the NCAA? I don't know if he was or not. I know it was him, between him and Joe Paul, and then after they took Joe Paul's wins, I think he took over as the winningest coach. What about old um, Bear Bryant? He had more wins than him? Yeah. Yeah, 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 because he was coaching. Damn near before Bear Bryant and after Bear Bryant. <laughs> now I think about it, so you got a yeah. point there. So, yeah. You are, you are correct on that, I do believe. But my thing is, you could just you could hear the pain and the suffering and the voices of the fans. You could hear the passion, and I said, man, if anything is going to spark that Florida State passion that we've been missing, this is going to be it. Absolutely, they're going to come out here with a boulder on their shoulders, ready, so to speak, just ready to unload on somebody. 
Absolutely. And they came out. I mean, because y'all drew, but they came yeah. out in that Notre Dame game, man. And I mean, it looked like it was true. I mean, they played that game till the last whistle blew. And I mean, if it wasn't for a couple little mistakes, simple dumb mistakes, so to say, just like you said before, penalties, some penalties, some turnovers. It was a dead nuts football game. I mean, they played their asses off. Absolutely. In the stands, I mean, you could hear it in the fans. They were, the crowd was there the whole game. They were really making a factor on Notre Dame was having a lot of issues, play calls. I, even though they lost, I said, that's not a conference game. They're going to make a run. This thing. That was impressive. They're going to make a damn run at it. Yeah. And then the next week, they played Jacksonville State. <laughs> and it's like the damn wheels came off, man. Absolutely, man. I mean, How do you lose to Jacksonville State in the form that they did? I really, I don't know, man. I mean, true, it was a twenty to seventeen game. They lost about three, but they were dominated. Yeah, they were just downright dominated in every aspect of the word "dominate." They really were. Yeah, I mean, they just they took a beating from the beginning of the game to the very end. It was a three-point game, but I'm telling y'all, it was not close. And it really disappointed me because that was the first game McKenzie Milton who came in in relief in the Notre Dame game after Jordan Travis had some issues with turnovers and everything. McKenzie Milton came in, started his first game since nearly losing his leg Yeah, after a gruesome injury when he played at Central Florida. And I was excited. I said, man, what an opportunity. This, this could be something special. Yeah. And it's – I don't know if it was play calling. I don't know if with a different quarterback being in there, the offensive line couldn't pick up on the blocking schemes, couldn't audible, pick up some of these blitzes or what. But the whole entire game, Jacksonville State just wreaked havoc. Well, that was the story of Florida State's season is that offensive line, man. They really reminded me a lot of the South Carolina offensive line as far as blown assignments, as far as just, you know, Letting people through. Yeah, it just – and it wasn't – what was frustrating about it is your outside tackles, now they got beat several times, especially if they came up against a really good edge rushing player. Mm-hmm. They, they lost a little bit of ground. But they had a hard time keeping up. You could tell, and a lot of that was in the footwork. I was showing that to Rob the other day. When he swung by the house, I broke down the tape for him and I'll show it to him. A lot of that was footwork, just little simple errors. That could be corrected. Mm-hmm. But the interior of the line was where a lot of the heat was coming from, blowing the quarterbacks up. And it was not a talent thing because you would look at the film and they would blitz and the guard would just step off to the left. He would never touch the man. So it's not like he's getting beat. It's like he was keying on a play. That wasn't happening. Right. I, I don't understand. I don't know if there was a miscommunication, a lot of miscommunications going on this year. I don't know if blown calls on the line or what it could have been. Yeah, I don't know if it was blown calls on the line. Hell, they could have been mixed up some practice that never got straightened out. They just kept on with the confusion. I'm not sure what the deal was. but And then it could be defenses just 
you know, showing a certain blitz and then the last second going with something different. The call's already been made, so, you know, that tends to happen quite a bit too. But even as an offensive lineman, man, you need to – I'm about to say it. You need to adjust. That's right, and as an offensive lineman, you're an instinctual player. If you step down to block your man, he's going away from you. And you see someone to your right coming in, you know right then and there, okay, it's a stunt. Or, okay, it's a blitz. I got to pick this guy up. There's not many times as an offensive lineman where you're going to go play and you don't touch anybody. If you just, if a play goes off and you don't block anyone, you don't touch anyone, you've done something wrong. Yeah. Absolutely, man. Something was not right with that play call. You did something wrong, but it is not right. Yeah, absolutely. If you don't get your hands on somebody, you failed. That Your, your grade for that play is an F. That's exactly right. The only time you might see something like that is if you're pass blocking and they send a three-man rush. And even then, okay, you're going to lean on over here and you're going to help out your tackle. You're going to help the center with his guy. You're going to help someone. Yeah, at least get a hand on somebody and help kind of chip them away if you got to. And then, you know, just kind of look for any stragglers to come through, but at least get your hand on somebody. That's exactly right. There was a, I don't know. There was a lot of me Yeah, and a lot of not a whole lot of team going on. Yeah. I feel like, and I'm not making an attack, but at the same time, how many plays did you see where the edge rusher lined up? You got a tight end right here. He lined up outside shoulder of the tight end. Granted, it was a pass play, all right? Tight end's going to fire off the ball. Nine times out of ten, you're going to at least take a little chip out. Yeah, you want to try to knock him off course that way your uh, tackle can pick him up. That's right. You're going to buy your tackle just as Split second of time, but as offensive tackle, when that edge rusher is lined way out there, you know this tight end is not staying home. He's going for a pass. Your first step as offensive lineman, if you're on right tackle, you're going to be dropping your right foot back and out to the right a little bit. But you're not going to step straight to the right because he's coming in. That's a bad angle. At best, you might be able to catch him a little bit on his inside shoulder. That's not where you want to be. Because if you're catching him dead parallel with his inside shoulder, he's already beat you off the ball. Yeah. He's already pinching in. At that point, you're running backwards. You can't you can't use your left hand at that point because if you do, you're going to get a block in the back or a hole. Exactly. You're not beat. To, not to mention you're off balance, so the chances are you're not uh, you're going to get blown up anyway. That's exactly right. You're beat. As offensive time, I mean, that's, that, that's common sense, man. Yeah. Pass blocking ain't nothing but you dropping back and you're sitting in that rocking chair. Mm-hmm. And you're going to do your best to keep your man in front of your face. Mm-hmm. If he's not in front of your face, he's off to one side or you at the other, you got problems. Yep. You got serious problems. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So there's just a lot of miscommunication going on there. And I just, it drives me crazy. Absolutely, man. Because. Go ahead, go ahead. Like you, I was excited to see McKenzie Milton get in and get his chance. I felt like he was the better-looking quarterback in spring practice last year. But he wasn't mobile. And the thing about that is when you have the line having the problems that they do, you're, you're going to have to rush for your life. And he, he, he was pretty screwed with that bad leg. 
it's just like Alex Smith when he came back from injury with the Redskins or the Washington football team or commanders or whatever the hell they are. But it's basically the same thing, man. Once you're a mobile quarterback and you lose your mobility, mm-hmm. you were already never a pocket-style quarterback. So it's already going to throw your game off a little bit. But when you have no mobility, you can't run. You can't get away from these defensive linemen. If you don't have an O-line, you're, you're in trouble. You're, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And when Jordan Travis, who is a very mobile quarterback, when he's having to run for dear life and he's getting sacked over and over and over again, what the hell is Mackenzie Milton going to do? Ain't much he can do at that point in time. I mean, I love seeing him get a shot, but at the same time, if you're a dual-threat quarterback, it's throwing interceptions, and it's not just plenty of day making terrible throws. It's just flat-out running for dear life, and you throw a pick. What the hell is this other guy going to do? I mean, you're not giving him a fair chance at all. You're not right. giving anybody a fair chance. Right. No, absolutely. And what kind of drove me crazy with Jordan Travis also is the fact that he had the second most rushing yards on the team. Yeah. Looking at the film, I did a lot of thinking about this while I was studying it. And it just, there was a lot of times where he could have got the pass off. Had open man down the field. Could have set back, planted his foot, and got the ball off, and made really big plays and probably helped the team a lot more. But I almost wondered, the more I've thought about it, is just you get hit time and time and time again. I mean, at some point, you, you lose faith in your offensive line. You lose trust. Absolutely, man. You start hearing footsteps. Yeah, you lose trust. You start hearing footsteps. I mean, you drop back, and instead of looking at your receivers, you're instantly thinking, okay, I got to be moving. I got to be moving. If I stop, I'm getting hit. Yeah. I got to go. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of times where he would drop back, and you could tell he didn't even go through his progressions. He'd look at one receiver, maybe two at most. If he looked at second one, he was already on the run when he looked at him. Yeah. But he never went through a full progression of reading through his receivers hardly ever throughout the year. No, not at all, man. It, it seemed like once he decided to take off, it was vertical. He wouldn't run in towards the sideline to try to buy time to get a man open. It was just – I'm gone. Let's let's get what we can get. Yeah, I'm going to salvage as much yards as I possibly can. And I get that. I don't, don't get me wrong. I absolutely get that. You, There's nothing wrong with trying to get what you can for the team. But at the same time, if it's third and 15, I mean, you need that first down, man. But at the same time, also, you, you – And it's hard to really knock Jordan Travis for doing that when your wide receivers aren't getting many yards for you. They're not getting many yards for you, but at the same time, I mean, hell, your two leading receivers didn't even have 400 yards on season. Right. But how many passes did they catch compared to other schools? Not many. Compared to other schools, you're right. I mean, you had – Ontario Williams uh, with 23, Andre uh, Parchment with uh, 24, and Keyshawn Hilton with 19. Exactly. I mean, you look at the stats here, man. 
Jordan Travis didn't throw but for 1,539 yards on the season. Mackenzie Milton didn't throw but for 775. Mm-hmm. Milton started four games. Travis started eight. I mean, right. both quarterbacks literally had damn near identical yards for the games they played in. Right, absolutely. But then you look at Jordan Travis and his rushing yards. He had 134 rushes for 530 yards and seven rushing touchdowns. Yeah, he did. 15 touchdowns through the air, six interceptions. Mm-hmm. Mackenzie Milton, three touchdowns through the air, six interceptions. But I'm going to show you a key number in both of these, all right? All right. Jordan Travis was sacked 26 times. Yeah. Mackenzie Milton was sacked 10 times. Mm-hmm. 10 times to four games. 26 times eight games. That's not a good number. Yeah, that, that means you have no time. And Jordan Travis, if you look at the stats, he actually got sacked on average more in a game than Mackenzie Milton did. And I think a lot of that was – I keep comparing to these NFL players. I hate right. to do that, but you look at Russell Wilson the last couple of years with Seattle Seahawks. Had a bad offensive line. A lot of times Russell Wilson scrambles around, and a lot of people to his fault say he will actually sometimes run himself into trouble, mm-hmm. moving around a little too much. A little too much happy feet. Right. But when you got a bad offensive line, what the hell is a quarterback supposed to do? Mm. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't know. I really don't know what the hell you're supposed to do as a player in that situation. Yeah. I mean, and Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, I mean, in that kind of situation, man, it's just – in. In defense of Jordan Travis, yeah, you've got to get what you can get. And I can definitely understand being sacked that many times, you know, trying to get up the field for as many yards as you can, man, because and here in feet, because at the end of the day, man, you get hit so many times, you develop PTSD and don't want to take it anymore. That's exactly right. But again, I can't help but wonder, is this a, a player problem? Is this a coaching problem is it just play calling what what is the problem here that's what's getting hard for me to put my finger on and i mean one thing i don't care about this offense right now i've seen the last couple years of florida state's offenses florida state has always been known as a school that's going to run the ball very well yeah that's always been their bread and butter yeah you look in their history they've always had success running the ball and it's always opened up holes in the passing game by doing that. Yeah, absolutely. And in recent years, they've become way more of a pass-first, run-last kind of team. And this past year, look at the stats for starting tailback. Well, the tailback got the majority reps. He didn't start a couple games. I don't know if he was dealing with injuries or what the deal was exactly, but Deshaun Corbin. Mm-hmm. And he had hellacious talent. Oh, he had mad talent. I'm saying you look at his stats. 143 rushes for 887 yards. That's averaging 6.2 yards a carry. He averaged 74 yards a game. How do you average 6.2 yards a carry and you only get, on average, getting 74 yards a game? Right. You're not getting enough touches. No, not at all. Seven touchdowns. And he had four games with over 100 yards rushing. Yep, a total of 887 yards on the year. Yeah, 
Hopefully he gave himself. I mean, just like you said, man, not enough touches. Yeah, he just... And you look at the games where they really had their most success was the games where Deshaun Corbin had his best success. Look at the Notre Dame game. They ran the ball very well in that game. Mm -hmm. Had some big runs. Look at the Miami game. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's... I can go on. Yeah, prime examples at Miami game, man. Yeah, I mean, there's numerous games where... If he ran the ball well, they played well. And the more they fed him the ball, the better he did. So why? God almighty, it's frustrating because, I mean, hell, most of their passing plays, they didn't get the passes off. No. If you look at stats. No. I mean, you combine your two quarterbacks, you still ain't got but about 2,300 yards, a little over 2,300 yards passing. Right. Between two quarterbacks in 12 games. 2,300 yards, Rob. Think about that. Between two quarterbacks. Between two quarterbacks at 2,300. Normally, if a twenty, if one quarterback has a 2,300-yard season, I mean, you're mediocre. You're going to a bowl game, but... You ain't doing well. No. You got questions at quarterback position. But for two quarterbacks to do it... That's rough. Yeah. <clears throat> that is very, very rough. But, I mean, that's you, Jordan Travis, 530 yards rushing. When you got a running back like Deshaun Corbin, why does he need to have 530 yards rushing? And what's bad is this is what's frustrating me. Just about all those rushing yards, a very small percentage of those were designed run plays for him. Yeah. Most of those was him running for his life. Yeah. So, if you're averaging six yards of carry on the ground, two plays, you got a first down. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, you might catch up with some of these big teams like Clemson. Might have a little tough time here and there with them. But at the same time, if you can feed the ball and you can have that much success on the ground, the more success you have on the ground, the more these other schools are going to key in on the ground. They're going to key in on that running back. Yeah. And, I mean, we're talking uh, about Sean Corbin. But what about uh, Treshawn Ward? Oh, he had some good. He did very well. Number two quarterback. Only had 81 rushes. You mean number two running back. Or Yeah, number two running back, excuse me. Only had... 81 rushes, but he had 515 yards on the ground, averaging 6.36%. Yeah. I really don't understand it, especially... I don't know. I feel like some people get a little lost in their own height. I'm just going to put it that way. Mike Norville came here supposed to be a very offensive-minded coach. Yep. Supposed to be somewhat of a guru, so to speak. Now, don't get me wrong with Mike Norville. He's – do I think he's on a hot seat? Yeah. But at the same time, you lose five games this season by ten points or less. Your defense is keeping you in these games. But the offense, you can't – the offense is not what's winning the game for them. No. 
No, definitely not. The defense could have been – it could have been better. But at the same time, how many games did you see where the defense made stop after stop after stop after stop, got the ball back to the offense numerous times, and the offense go three and out? Turnover after turnover, like in that Miami game, you had three turnovers back to back to back, and, and – <laughs> Florida either kicked a field goal or turned it right back over. Florida State, excuse me. That's what I'm saying, man. I mean, this is – it's very frustrating for me. It's very frustrating. I don't say I don't – if you're having success with something offense, try it. If something's not working, don't keep banging your head against the wall if you're not making progress. Absolutely. Go with what's working for you. If they stop that, then do something else. Absolutely. Then try something different. Absolutely. Just like we said in two separate podcasts, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And that's what my problem is, is from 2020 to 2021, this is the same Florida State offense two years in a row. Yeah. Statistically. Yeah. They ain't. Who are the stats? It's, it's the same team. Yeah, I mean, we could literally re-record the same podcast that we had last year, and it would still count for the season. It would. It really would, honestly. Because, I mean, last year they were on the cusp of something great. And they had several games where they came up close, but the thing is, You're coming that close, and you're doing a lot wrong. Yeah. If you get these issues corrected, you're there. The sky's the limit. Exactly. Exactly. But you were close last year and say, well, we'll try the same thing again. No. You was close again this year, but guess (laughs) what? Close only counts on horseshoes and hand grenades. Yeah, Absolutely. That's it. I mean, five and seven. Five and seven is your final score. Five games you lose by ten points. Three of which you lose by three points. Let me ask something. All right. I'm just going to throw two scores at you. All right. It's not Florida State scores. I'm just going to ask you what these scores have in common. Okay. Team loses 56 to 21. Okay. The next week, they lose 24 to 21. They lost? Exactly. A loss is a loss. Exactly. In this game, you either got dubs, you either got Ws, or Ls. Mm hmm. It's cut and dry. It's black and white. It's plain and simple. Absolutely. You got dubs or you got L's. And if you got L's, you got problems. Yep. There's work to be done. Yep. Hell, if you win, there's work to be done. It's harder to stay a winning team than it is to be a losing team and get a win. Absolutely. I honestly believe. And it seemed like every time this team got on a little bit of a streak, they'd fall flat on their face Mm -hmm. before they could... They started believing their own hype. It's like it's like a toddler learning how to walk, man. 
as soon as they got up off that floor and got their feet underneath them and went to take that first step, instead of taking that first step and then going for a second step, they thought they're just going to try to sprint. Yeah. Fall back down on the face and you starting over again. Yep. Go to take that first step and then decide, I don't want to do it no more and take a seat. And a big thing that I love talking about is culture. Y'all might be thinking I'm being a little too critical here on this team. And I'm not attacking nobody. No. But when we started this podcast, I said flat out, and Rob said the same thing. We're going to say it like it is. It is what it is. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. You've heard me criticize South Carolina. Mm -hmm. You've heard me criticize Virginia Tech. Yep. You've heard me talk good about Clemson. Yep. Heard me talk good about Bama, Georgia. And it hurt me. It, it, it hurts like <laughs> hell. It puts a bad taste in your mouth. It, it really, really does. does. Especially with Clemson and Bama. This year, it's not clicking. No. It's not clicking. No. You got some positive things. You got a good run. You got a great running back room. You got some great talent. I believe Jordan Travis really has a ton of potential at quarterback. He'll throw some throws out there, and it'll make you scratch your head and say, oh, man, what the hell was that? But then you'll see him make some throws, and you say, Bo. Throwing dimes on some Did you see that? Yeah. I mean, he's got the potential, and he's got the athleticism to be great. Yeah. This offensive line goes toe-to-toe with some big teams, teams with great defensive lines, and plays right there with them. Hell, Clemson. They hung in there with Clemson. They hung in there with Clemson, Notre Dame. Beat Miami. Yeah. Hung in there with Notre Dame the whole game. I mean, stood toe-to-toe with some really good teams, but then got shoved around by Jacksonville State. <laughs> got beat up by Louisville. I mean, run over by Louisville. That was, yeah, that was a massacre. That was a terrible game. You got a defense that is, oh, my goodness. If you give this defense some time to breathe. Yeah, I mean. Oh. I mean, that defense, man, they they were tremendous on that defensive line. Linebackers were, you know, just a little bit questionable, but that's because they're trying to catch their breath. And, you know, that secondary man did their job with, you know, picking up the ball and knocking down passes and whatnot. I mean, it's just you've got to give them time to rest. My whole thing is something's going on with the culture down there. They're still doing okay in the recruiting game. They're still hanging in there. But it's not what it should be. No, no, and no, no. And they're losing, they're losing fans. They're losing fans. And you say I'm full of, but you know what? The numbers don't lie. No. You, you want to hear the damn numbers? I got them right here. I wrote them down for you. Yep, let's hear it. A sold out crowd at Bobby Bowden Stadium. That's seventy nine thousand five hundred and sixty people. Mm-hmm. A sold out crowd. All right. Yep. Your first game of the year. Against Notre Dame, you had 68,316. Didn't even sell out for your season against Notre Dame. And this being the first year after COVID year, you would think it would be sold out in a hurry. Exactly. And, I mean, 68,000, that's still, they made a lot of noise. It was somewhat creditable still. Yeah. I'll give them a little bit of credit for it, all right? When they lost to Jacksonville State, they had 62,000 in attendance. So just in that one game, losing that one game, that's 6,000 less seats. Mm-hmm. You could say, well, might be less Notre Dame people in the stadium, maybe. 
than Jacksonville State. That ain't it. No. You lost a little bit of faith right there. But after that loss to Jacksonville State, from week two all the way up to week 10 until they played Miami, the stadium attendance never broke. It never even touched, let alone broke, 57,000. Jesus. That's 22,560 seats empty. Mm-mm-mm. And for a proud nation is the Seminoles, man. I mean, that's saying a lot. In the Miami game, they they had a little bit of a win streak for that loss game. Then they played Miami. Miami was a big rivalry game. They did bring in 71,917 seats. That was the most they had all year, and that was in week 10. But from week 2 to week 10, you never even touched 57,000. Mm-mm-mm. That's a quarter. That's damn near a quarter of your stadium capacity. Yep. Not there. Numbers don't lie, man. And that means your university's losing a lot of money. You're losing money, but you're also losing your fan base. Losing support, that's right. And when you lose support, it's hard to get back. And don't get me wrong, these fans, they're beat up now. They had to go through those years with Willie Taggart. And when that ended, they were jumping with joy saying, man, save us. Yep. And your first-year coach comes in there and wins three games in a COVID year. That's not pretty, but it was a COVID year. Right. Coming into week one this year, they roll in there 68,000 against Notre Dame. They're giving you a chance. They're saying, all right, come on, let's do this. Let's do this. You could hear them. Right. They lost that game. And when they lost to Jacksonville State, you can watch the Jacksonville State game. Look at the stands. Don't even look at the field. Look at the stands. Yep. Look at the body language. Look at the faces of these fans. That is a very, very frustrated fan base. And it's a hurt fan base. It really is. Because, I mean, before, not even two or three weeks before season started, you lose the best head coach the school or NCAA football may have ever had. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. I mean, it's just. And then, and then we played it for y'all in the podcast. The tribute. You could hear so many people hurting. All the respect that Bobby Bowden had for the culture that he built. And then you're just pissing it away. I don't know. Exactly. I don't. I really don't get it. But you know, I just remember. Wasn't this the same spring game where they had the people. (laughs) <laughs> the reporters or whatever came in and were throwing passes. And a lot of them, or several of them, was from uh, the Florida Gators, wasn't it? They were from the Florida Gators, and I think they even had somebody from the Miami Hurricanes, but they were calling plays in your spring game. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's not a good culture. No, absolutely not. Your two biggest rivals, and you're allowing them to come in and call plays in your spring game? 
And it wasn't students or nothing like that, but it was reporters. Yeah. And in your spring game, we were trying to test and tune your team to only won three games last year, and you got reporters out there calling plays and just having fun. And see, that's the problem I got with what Georgia Tech did with their spring game. That's the problem I got with Missouri did with their, their game. If you're a program, all right, and you want to improve, then damn it, put your heart, put your soul, put all of your effort into it. Absolutely. Put everything you got into it. If you're going to do something, give it your everything. Well, Don't make a joke out of it. Don't make a publicity stunt out of it. Take the damn thing serious and do it. Well, even as not only just the coaches, but even the players, they have to take ownership of this team, of this culture, make it your own, and fight for it. If you think something is affecting your culture, say something. Speak up. Exactly. You got to have leaders in the locker room to get to that next level. But at the same time, you got to have ears willing to listen at that yeah. next level. Yeah. You got to have communication. You got to have trust. And I just, I feel like there wasn't a whole lot of trust from the coaches. No. I feel like there wasn't a whole lot of trust from the players. Hell, your quarterback's not trusting his offensive line. That was obvious. Uh, yeah. That's a good mean, reason, though. It's just a very frustrating situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's frustrating all the way around, man. I've never really been a diehard Florida State fan. I've always pulled for them. But I've never really been a diehard Florida State fan. However, growing up in the 90s, Florida State was always on the map. They were always in contention. And now here in 2022, they're at the bottom of the list. They really are. I mean, this year, they finished 5-7, and 4-4 four and four in the ACC, which was good enough for fifth place in the Atlantic Division. Yep. And they talked about how they've seen so much improvement this year. I mean, after a three-win season, five games is an improvement. Okay, but you won four games in ACC compared to three games <laughs> last year. I mean, you valid point, valid point. <laughs> I don't know, man. They've got to do something. I'm not calling for nobody's job. But damn it, it's time to put up or shut up. Exactly. You, Florida State is way, way, way too good of a program. They're too prestigious. Too prestigious. It's too good. Got way too rich of a history to be sitting here talking about them like this. This isn't Duke. This isn't Wake Forest. This ain't Pittsburgh. <laughs> This is Wake Forest. I mean, this is this is Florida State. I wish. Excuse me. Excuse me. I'm getting so aggravated now. I'm mixing my damn work. This is the Florida State Seminoles. And when you got Florida State fans saying, "Hell, I wish we were Wake Forest this year." Yeah. When Wake Forest is playing Florida State, and the Florida State fans. Just sitting there saying, oh, this is not going to be good. 
when Central Florida makes it before a bowl game before you do, there's problems. Yeah. And beat your rival that you lost to. Yeah. Florida Gators. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't know, man. It's just it's maddening. I mean, look at these offensive stats for years, dude. Total yards per game, they average 358. Mm-hmm. That's good enough. 86 FBS. Mm-hmm. 86 in the nation. Mm-hmm. Passing yards a game, they averaged 180 yards, point two, 99th in the nation. Yep. Points per game, 27.6. Good enough for 73rd in the nation. Did you mention Rush? I didn't hear you. I'm getting at it now. Okay. But your rushing yards a game, 177.8. Good enough for 53rd in the country. So running the ball, he was in the better half of the nation. Yep. He wasn't in the back half. He was in the better half. Yep. He was actually pretty damn decent at it. Yep. And you didn't run the ball nowhere near as much as you threw it. Yeah. I just, I don't, there's not enough words for the aggravation. There's really not. I mean. No, it don't don't make no damn sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. What happened to the days of Florida State hard-nosed football? The defense is still hard nose. The defense is still, I mean, a pretty damn tough team. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're... Defensive stats were all significantly better than offensive stats. They still wasn't quite as good, but then you look at how poor the offense was. It's like we keep telling y'all, if you got a really bad offense, it's going to reflect in your defensive stats. Big time. Absolutely. But here's the thing, too, though. These stats reflect a five and seven program. They really do. Yeah. I mean, defensive stats, yards per game, they gave up 364.8, 68th in the nation. Not great. You ride around the middle of the pack. Yep. Damn near dead at the middle of the pack. Yep. Average rushing yards you gave up a game, 144.6. That's good enough for 53rd in the nation. That gets you to that upper tier, though. Upper tier. Passing yards you gave up a game, 220.2. 76th in the nation. So fall off there. You're in a little bit of the back burner. Mm-hmm. But you're on the field all the time. You get kind of wore down, get a little beat up, get tired, you start making mistakes. Start having a lot of mental mistakes. Mm-hmm. Points per game, 26.5. 67th in the nation. Yep. Once again, damn near dead in the middle. And, you know, as far as team stats go as well, you had 83 penalties, <clears throat> giving up 750 yards with those 83 penalties. You gave up, you had 20 fumbles, lost nine of those fumbles with 12 interceptions. Can't win like that. No. Cannot win like that. No. Might win a couple games. Might win five. Yeah, you might get lucky and win six one year. <laughs> but you'll never be a contender. No. And damn it, 
Florida State has always been a contender. And I'm ready to see them back there. Exactly. I just I don't get it. Because I'm not going to say Mike Norman won't know what he's doing. I think he's a good coach. You look at his history, I think he knows what he's doing. But at the same time, I feel like he's got to get out of his own damn head a little bit. I think Norwell's a damn good coach. But being a damn good coach may not necessarily make you a good head coach. It may make you a good assistant. But, and again, I'm not calling for nobody's job. But at the same time, you got to rely on your assistants to cover your line, to cover your quarterbacks, to cover your wide receivers. Being a head coach, you can't be in every room at the same time. No, you can't. But being a head coach, you are the CEO of your company, yep. so to speak. You're yep. the general of your army. You control all the pieces. You put every piece in place. Absolutely. So, with that being said, maybe they can move a few things around this year. Find a way to make it successful. We'll Absolutely, man. I, we'll find out when the spring game comes to see what progress has been made. Or yeah, we'll go over you know some of the additions that they've had, new freshmen coming in, transfers. I was looking at the transfers they had today, man. They've got some good pieces coming in, but again, it's it's not about what you got coming in. It's about what you can do with what you got. I'm about to say they had some really good pieces last year. Yeah, uh, Jermaine Johnson, Kiara Thomas, Jamie Robinson. Yep. I mean, had a lot of really good pieces in place last year. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And with what they had, man, I don't feel personally like that was a 5-17. and 17. No. I'm telling you, and I'll, I'll, I'll repeat it right now. If I had no memory of how this year went, you let me look at the team they had last year, the talent they had last year. Let me look at some of the things they were doing in the spring game. Let me analyze everything. I would do it all again. I would predict them to be a ACC contender. No doubt. No doubt about it. But they got to get out of their own damn way. They got to quit stepping on their own feet. Absolutely, man. So, that being said, man, that's all I got for this one. That's all I've got too, man. And I'm, I'm just hoping and praying that they find a way to turn it around this year. Yep. But right now, I'll be honest, I got about as much faith in that as I do my GoPro battery staying charged which died halfway <laughs> through this podcast. Yeah, that's, uh, that's sad stuff, man. So you're probably not going to see a YouTube video this time around, unfortunately. Yeah, we we fumbled the damn ball. We had our own turnover. <laughs> so hate it, y'all, but we'll get it right. But we appreciate y'all tuning in. Hit us up on Twitter. Check out Instagram, Facebook, message us. You can message us, share it with your friends, contact us, do whatever you want. Absolutely, man. And even even if we can't get this daggone GoPro to work properly, we've got Instagram now. Look for us to maybe go live on a weekend or something, talk a little football with us. That's exactly right. But uh, all I can say is till next time. Just keep those drinks cold, keep those chains moving.
We love y'all. We'll see you next time.